0: there's an old saying, familiarity breeds contempt. Sound familiar? That that isn't just a Michigan thing? Okay, just checking. All right. Um, The the meaning behind these words is sometimes observed in young people who just cannot wait to get out of whatever town they're living in because, well, it's so podunk and it's holding me back and, and everything, every place else is better than wherever I am. Maybe a corollary on this might be the grass is always greener on the other side. Um, But the truth of this proverb can be seen in the way that people feel about their jobs, their cars, their homes, and and God forbid, sometimes even their spouse. Uh, In the beginning, everything's exciting and good. The job is full of opportunity. The car is shiny. The house is full of hopes and the marriage is full of dreams. Uh, But something happens. And as time goes by, we become more familiar with the job and find things we don't like, a task, a boss. Um, the car is good, but then we begin to notice little, little things that annoy us, the way that the locks work you know, when you put it in park. Uh, or, or maybe a sound that it makes when you're driving down the freeway. You know, and the house, you know, the house that was full of hopes and dreams, you know, all of a sudden we discover there's maintenance My dad used to say, you don't own a house, it owns you. Because there's always something that needs to be done. And all of a sudden, maybe it doesn't look as good. And then the spouse, well, the rose-colored glasses, uh, they get exchanged for a different hue sometimes. And that can be devastating if the relationship isn't rooted in a deep and abiding love. Because each of us, in our own ways, can be extremely annoying and if you don't believe me ask your spouse familiarity breeds contempt and i suspect that this is true in our relationship with god i know that this was true of israel at first it was exciting you 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 might remember in the story of the exodus you know God sends Moses, and all of a sudden there's these plagues and these miracles, and and they cross the Red Sea on dry ground, and, and it's all so incredible. But then comes week after week of manna and quail, and then the grumbling. Israel had a long history of flirting with the other gods that were around them. In fact, you might recall that when Moses went up on the mountain to get the commandments from God, they said, hey, we don't know what happened to this Moses guy. You know, make us a god. You know, and Aaron, Moses' brother, says, hey, give me all your gold, and he fashions a, a, a golden calf. That's the gods of the nations around them. And they're always kind of flirting with these other deities. And from that time on, Israel often went back and forth between faithfulness to God and serving the gods of the nations around them. Isaiah's ministry, along with most of the prophets, addressed this back and forth nature of of Israel's relationship with God. Even though God had done everything for them, brought them salvation, brought them life. They continued to chase after these these other deities. And the prophet's job was often to confront them with the way that they treated God with contempt. And this is in the background of our reading today from Isaiah. Notice the introduction. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariots and horse, army and warrior, They lie down. They cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a a wick. This is language comparing God to the gods around them. The nations around them had had gods to protect them on the sea and, and gods who were gods of war. And one of the major tasks of the gods was to protect the nation from the other nation's gods. And basically, this is saying that the God of Israel is above all of these other nations' gods who are basically like a wick that gets snuffed out when the Lord of Israel shows up. And just a few verses before our reading, God declares this. I I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed. When there was no strange God among you, and you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. There is salvation when there is no strange God among the Israelites. But familiarity had bred contempt, and Israel was enthralled with these other gods. The excitement of worshiping them, and the the grandeur, and the spectacle... And despite the fact that these gods and their warriors lie down, cannot rise, and they're extinguished like a a wick, that they're not able to save, and they cannot provide the the life and salvation that God provides, the people were drawn to them. And so God says, you know what? Forget about the former things. Forget Egypt. Forget the covenant at Sinai. Forget Abraham and, and how God chose him and his descendants to be his special people. Don't even think about the things of old, he says, because behold, I am doing a new thing. And you know what that new thing was? It was Jesus, it was Emmanuel, God with us. It was Jesus bearing the sins of of all humanity on the cross so that all people, not just one nation, but all people could be God's people through faith in Jesus, who was not a warrior, but a healer, and who was not a political figure, but a teacher, who did not come in strength and power and majesty, but in humility, weakness, and dishonor. He came to die and then to rise. But even after his resurrection, Jesus didn't trumpet his victory. He appeared to certain people who would be his witnesses. And this message was passed down through the past 2,000 or so years to us. And that's his his new thing. And as we sit here, clearly we, we cherish this message of Christ crucified for our sins. Obviously, we love the Lord and we worship him even as he works in our lives to shape us as his people so that we become more and more like him. But let me ask you, does familiarity breed contempt even today? We're coming up on the tail end of Lent. Next Sunday is Palm Sunday. The following Thursday, Maundy Thursday, then Good Friday, then Easter. Will that week, the week that that helps us to remember everything that Jesus did to rescue us, to redeem us from sin, death, and hell, be any different to us than any other week? There will be special worship services to recall, to retell, and to receive God's salvation. These events are are at the heart of why one day we will go to heaven. But I can tell you, just from what I've seen in the past, that, that less than half of us will be there Thursday. And again on Friday. Oh, the place we packed on Easter Sunday. Fear not. But salvation is also one on the cross, is it not? Is that not a time to gather, to remember, and to receive what God gives? Now, I'm not saying this to, to, to shame anyone, or, or there is no law that says you have to attend all, all these special services. Jesus' forgiveness is, is just as powerful and effective without these observances. But I do bring this up as kind of a point of of self-reflection. Has has all of this become so familiar that it's just not meaningful to us in the same way anymore? God did a new thing by sending Jesus to die for us. However, that new thing, it's actually not done. The impact of Jesus' salvation is always at work making us new. If anyone is Christ, in Christ, that, that person is a new creation. And, and this is different. You know, like when we buy a car, it's new. And then there's a period of time after that we would still call it new, but at some point it's not. But when we're in Christ, we are always New. We're renewed in our minds by the the working of the Holy Spirit who enlightens us to to live and to become more like Jesus. He's at work in us to give us new life in Christ. And Paul wrote about this in our second reading today, about how he wants to become more like Jesus, How, how he wants to experience who Jesus is, that he might know Christ and know the power of his resurrection. Becoming like Jesus in his death. That's an interesting little twist there, isn't it? I want to know Christ, know the power of his resurrection, so that I can become like him in his life? No, his death. What's going on there? What does that mean? It means that Jesus and and his resurrection change us. They renew us. They take us from being dead in trespasses and sin so that we become alive in Christ. And that gives us a whole new freedom, a freedom to become like Jesus in his death. And why would we want to become like Jesus in his death? To answer that, we have to ask, why did Jesus die? Why was he willing to die for us? And it was because he loved us. And it's also because he loved the Father who wanted our salvation. To become like Jesus in his death is to love our neighbor and to love God. It's to live in love and obedience. Not oppressive obedience, but the kind of obedience that that flows from, from knowing that we are deeply and richly loved and blessed. That kind of love changes us. And God is not done even at that with changing us and making us new. Nor is he done changing the world. He's doing a new thing. Even the wild beasts and the the ostriches are going to experience this. There will be a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. God is at work to bring new life in the world. And we observe some of that in the springtime, the the new life that, that comes forward. But a day will come when God will raise the dead, and we will receive new and glorious bodies. And in that day, he will renew the earth and the sky too. No more pollution, no more dead squirrels on the road, no more droughts, no more famines. All will be new. All will be glorious. And we will praise him. How do we respond to that kind of salvation? Paul says, I press to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We press on. We we, we don't treat this message of of life and hope and salvation and newness with contempt. We, We long to get more Of what Jesus is giving more life, more love, more salvation, more renewal, and because we stumble in sin, more forgiveness that makes us new. And as we do, Jesus changes us. We have a calling to live for something greater than ourselves. This upward call of God in Christ Jesus, it's a transformed life. A life that reflects our Savior, that's changed by his love, that extends his love on earth. The upward call of God in Christ Jesus is God's new work in us. And as he works in us, he works through us to extend this newness to our neighbors. A great change has taken place. And it continues to unfold. God's salvation has come. And it is coming. Let us declare his praise as we look forward to how he will make us new in Christ. Amen.